Good morning. Our church is looking lovely this morning, looking very Christmassy, if you uh, haven't noticed. Hopefully you have. Um, but it's a, a wonderful way to begin our season of Advent with the church all decorated in its uh, Christmas decorations today. So it's good to be here and to be worshiping God with you, to be looking into His Word. And as we uh, open God's Word, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Christmas season. We thank You for Advent that we can spend these weeks reflecting on Christmas leading up to the birth of Your Son. And Lord, we, uh, we thank You for sending Jesus. We pray that as we open Your Word now, that You would help us to understand and help us to apply the things that You have to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, our culture sometimes has a very strange view of love. As we talk about love at Christmas today, you know, we might think about what we uh, see, what we hear from our culture about love. Just uh, in the last week or so, I heard uh, an old tune uh, by the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. And it was interesting after the... Some of you may remember that one. Some of you know that one? Anyway, some of us, some of us older people know that one. Uh, where, what was I going to say about that? Oh, yeah. Um, got, got myself all sidetracked already and I haven't even started. Um, yeah, so anyway, after the song, the, the song is All You Need Is Love. So it's, it's one of those early Beatles tunes, very simple, kind of a catchy melody. And now I've cursed all of you who know that song because it's going to be, the melody is going to be running through your head for the rest of the morning. There you go. That's my gift to you today. You can thank me later. Okay. Um, so the tune is just this, it's, it's this little catchy tune and it's got this, Lydia wants me to sing it for you. <laughs> okay, now I'm really distracted. <laughs> okay, um, so anyway, the, the song, the lyrics are very simple. And it goes, it's just all you need is love, basically. And it was interesting, after the song was over, the DJ was like, well, okay, all you need is love. But you know, a house is really nice to sleep in when it's raining. And when you're hungry, it's really nice to have food. And when you need to hop on the SkyTrain, it's nice to have a little money to pay for your ticket. And so his point was, well, okay, it's nice that you say all you need is love, but really, there's more to life than that. This is one of the images that our culture gives to us about, and, and talks to us about and says to us about love. Some of you, again, an older, uh, an older expression uh, in a movie called, and there was a book as well called A Love Story. And this is from uh, late 60s, early 70s. And it has one of the famous lines of, uh, uh, of all in, in movies. And it, it, it sort of ends, and I won't, uh, I won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, but it says, love means never having to say you're sorry. That doesn't resonate with me. In my experience of love, love means you often have to say you're sorry. If you love someone, uh, you're going to offend them at some point, and you are going to have to say, I'm sorry. But these are some of the ideas that, uh, uh, that, that our culture gives to us and, and projects onto us about love. Some of more, more modern uh, ideas are, well, it, if you love someone, you complete me. You make me whole. Um, 
I was reading one writer and he was writing and he was talking about love and relationships and marriage and he said uh, that, and this uh, author said, there's less expectation of sacrifice of individual self-identity in the name of a couple identity. He's saying that there's, uh, that, that in society today we love one another but we don't really want to join together as a couple. We want to be two people who love each other. And we go through life together, but we're not really coming together as a couple. We are cherishing and holding on to our individual identity so strongly. And so love doesn't have any aspect of coming together with someone. It's just simply two individuals moving through life together. And this writer was actually identifying this as a problem in modern relationships where we say we love one another, but we want to be me and just stay on my own. What does all this have to do with Advent and Christmas that we're celebrating? Well, Christmas is all about love. And that's what we're talking about this week in Advent. We're talking about the love that God has shown to us in Christmas, in this time of sending His Son Jesus. And that kind of love is very different than the love that our culture projects onto us and says you should love in this way. God's love for us in sending His Son is a very different kind of love. And so as we think about love at Christmas, we, don't, we want to try and put aside the images and the ideas that our culture says about love and turn to the Bible and look and see what it has to say about love, especially God's love for us at Christmas. So as we do that, we think the first thing, we, we start to think about how love and actions, how our love and our actions go together, how they fit together. How can you say that you love someone and then turn around and mistreat them or disrespect or hurt them? Those things don't, uh, don't really go together. We need and we know that, that our words and our actions must be consistent for us to trust the words. That when we say, I love you, there has to be actions that go along with it that demonstrate, that show that love. And when those two things come together, when the words that you say and the actions that you do come together, then you really know about love. And we see that this is God at work. That God's words and His actions come together to demonstrate His love for us. And that means that God's love for us means that He sends His Son for us. And we find the Christmas story wrapped up very neatly in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9-11. to The Apostle John is writing to a church. He doesn't tell us where that church is or who they are exactly. But he says, he calls them, he says, they are my dear children, dear friends, dear children. He, these are people that he knows and he has a close relationship to. These are people that he cares about himself personally. And he writes to them. And he says in part, this is 1 John chapter 4, verse 9-11, and and he says, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love 
one another. So, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. First thing that John gives us here is the emotion and then the action. How does God act out His love for us? How does He demonstrate? How does He show it to us? He simply he, he shows His love by sending His Son. By sharing Himself with us. By sending His Son into the world. And that's, a very act, that's God's very act of love for us. But why? Why would He do this? There has to be a reason for this. So his, he is, through His love, He's sending His Son to us. But why does He do that? He just has to be a reason. It doesn't make much sense to do something for someone for no reason. For, the, for, for no background. No, uh, to accomplish no purpose. If your house is all nicely done in beautiful hardwoods and, and, uh, and, and, and ceramic tiles, and you don't have an ounce of, uh, of carpet, not one square yard of carpet in our house, and then I think, well, I'm going to give you a gift. So I send the carpet cleaners around to come to your house. You say, well, why did you do that? It's of no use for me. It doesn't serve any purpose. Nothing, there's no point in it. So there has to be a reason behind God sending His Son. God's action, His love demonstrated to us, doesn't, isn't just a, a random action that has no meaning for us. But it has a purpose. So God's love sends His Son, and then God's love gives us eternal life. And, he, and John gives that in the second part of verse 9 there. At the end of verse 9, God gives the purpose for God to send His Son. It's in order for us to have eternal life. God didn't just send Jesus to stand around. God didn't just send Jesus to spend His life just wandering around teaching people and, uh, and, and doing whatever He wanted to do. God didn't send His Son Jesus just to, uh, uh, to be nice to people. Jesus did that, but that wasn't the purpose. wasn't the whole purpose. He didn't send Jesus into the world just to disturb people, although Jesus didn't hesitate to disturb them when they needed to be disturbed. He did that too. But He sent His Son into the world so that we might have eternal life. That we might live through Jesus. Jesus had an important purpose in life, and that purpose was to give us eternal life. And Jesus Himself exactly knew His purpose in life. Interesting that many of us struggle for our purpose in life. What are we here for? What are we trying to do? What is it that God wants me to do? That's often a question that we ask. What is it that God wants me to do? We're looking for something uh, very specific, a, a real pur purpose and meaning for our life. Jesus comes. And He has a very clear purpose. And He tells people, um, he, uh, he tells people in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. In Luke, chapter 19, verse 9 and 10, Jesus tells us clearly what He is all about. He's, he's talking to Zacchaeus. And He's had this interaction with Zacchaeus. 
Remember the story of Zacchaeus, that short guy, and he climbs up a tree to see Jesus, to get a view of Him, and Jesus uh, picks him out of the crowd. And he goes to his house. And Jesus, at the end of that interaction with Zacchaeus, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now here's the next verse is his purpose. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Jesus knew exactly why he had come. He came to seek and save those who are lost. That's why Jesus came, to give us eternal life. And John goes on here in John chapter, or 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 10. And he gives us a little more detail. He fleshes out that idea of eternal life. And he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is what Jesus came to do. It's a loaded statement here. It's a theologically loaded statement that John makes here. He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But first He starts out, He he gives us a a little more detail. He says, uh, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. So first of all, this action that God takes is not arising out of a feeling that we have. God is not responding to our love for Him and in turn giving us eternal life. But the gift of God, that eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus, comes from God. It originates in God's heart. It has to start somewhere. And it starts with the faithful, unchanging One. The God of heaven and earth. And that's where this love comes from. And that's where the action to send Jesus, because of God's love for us, He sends Jesus, His Son, and it comes from God Himself. It's a good thing it doesn't start with us, because we'd probably mess it up. It's a good thing it starts with God. God's not waiting to act until we fall in love with Him. And so then He will respond. He responds he, does, he acts first. You know, sometimes in our human relationships, we reach a point and we, do, we don't know exactly where to go in our relationship. We don't know how to, to develop it further. And maybe you're afraid to say those three scary words to the other person. I love you. Well, you don't want to say that because you're not sure how the other one's going to respond. You don't want to say it because you're not sure, is this really how I feel? Am I really in love? Am I just infatuated? Or am I just distracted? Is she or he really good looking? And I'm just, that's the attraction. So you don't want to say those words. And so you both sort of circle around it and you're just not sure if you really want to say that. Who's going to say it first? You don't want to be that first one to say it. We sometimes think that maybe God operates like that too because we think God is like us. But that's not 
the way God is. God never feels that way. He's never unsure or unwavering in how He feels about us. He knows us. He knows us perfectly. He knows Himself. And He loves us. He's not afraid to say it. And He's not afraid to act on it. It doesn't matter how we feel about it. It's all up to God. God's love is not for us is not dependent on our feelings, but only on His character. And here, this is what John is saying. This has nothing to do with how we feel. Not that we loved God. That had nothing to do with God sending Jesus. But He loved us. It starts, that's the starting place. Jesus, he, God loves us and He sends Jesus. He sends His Son as an atoning sacrifice. And those are two theologically loaded words. It's an atoning sacrifice. Jesus' coming is an atoning sacrifice for us. The purpose of the beginning of Jesus' life is the end of His life. The purpose of Christmas is Easter. We celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Easter. They are equally important. They are in a way the beginning and the end of the story. The beginning of the life of Jesus here on earth and the end of His life here on earth. And both are very, very important. But He makes an atoning sacrifice for us. To make an atonement is to make a payment for something. It's to make a, a reparation, a, a restoration for something that we've done wrong. So if your kid takes a rock and throws it through your neighbor's window, when you get home this afternoon, they're outside and they're playing around and they, take a, they, they think, wow, I wonder what would happen you know, as kids sometimes do, they think, well, I wonder what would happen if they take a rock, they throw it through the neighbor's window. Well, someone's going to have to make a payment for that. They did something wrong. And, you know, you'd love to make your kid make the payment for that, but that's not going to happen because they don't, probably don't have enough money. So, mom and dad end up having to make the payment for that. But somebody did something wrong. The kid threw a rock through a window. Now someone has to make a payment for that to restore, to Bring that back into the right condition. And that payment is just a, usually a payment of money and an apology to the other person. But the idea here in Christ's coming, the idea is the same. Someone has to make payment for something someone did wrong. That someone is us. That thing we did wrong is called the sin in our life and someone needs to make payment for that so that we can have eternal life. We can be brought back into right relationship with God because our sin has damaged our relationship with God. And now it has to be brought right. And Jesus makes that atonement. Jesus on the cross sacrifices Himself to make that atonement for our sins. He makes that payment. In our imperfect world today, wrongdoers sometimes get away with their wrongdoing. They don't always face justice. But that's not the case in God's economy. Every, every sin requires a payment. And for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, that is, is the payment. Jesus' atoning sacrifice for our sins. And all of that comes from the heart of God. That's how much God loves us. Sometimes it's hard to get our minds around that, that God would do that for us, but He does. And that's the kind of love He has for us. 
The Apostle Paul gives us a similar idea here in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still separated from God, while we were, our relationship with God was still broken, God shows His love for us. Sends His Son. Christ dies for us. This is the love that we see at Christmas. And you know, God's desire is for everyone to have eternal life. God is not evil who wants people to perish, who wants people to suffer. And then you ask the question, why does He want us to have eternal life? Well, the answer goes back to love. Because He loves us. He doesn't want to see any of His creation perish. And Peter tells us this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants to see everyone come to Him. God's love expands and, and grows and surrounds all of humankind. And He wants all to come to Him in repentance. The sad thing is, not all will. But that's what God wants. Because He loves us. And God's love is is not a selfish love that says, well, what's in it for me? God isn't uh, concerned about having everybody who's ever been created come so that that He can be worshipped. You know, that's how our human perspective might look at it. He we might say, well, you know, we want to have more people come and worship. Look at me. Look at how great I am. I deserve to have billions and billions of people coming to worship me. But God is not saying that. That's not the motivation for God to have everybody come to repentance so that there are more people worshiping Him because He is so great. It's coming out of His love for us. And so God's love for us sacrifices His Son Sends His Son to sacrifice for us. We could go on for the rest of the day looking at passages in the Bible that talk about uh, God's love. When you go the Bible and look, the Bible is full of them. I won't keep you here all afternoon to look at all of those, but let me give you one more from Jesus Himself. In John chapter 15, verse 12 to 13, Jesus says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says a lot of interesting things there. He gives a command. We don't often see Jesus identifying something he says as a command for you, but here is one of them. And he says, my command is to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus sets the example of love. Because he ends up and he says, he, he, he sets the example and he ends up and he says it here. He says, greater love has no one than this who lays down his life for his friends. He knows, Jesus knows what he's going to do. And he's saying, I am an example for you. This is how you should be. You should be willing to lay down your life for your friends. And he doesn't quite say it here. And we look back on the story and we, but we, and we know what Jesus is is saying is, watch me. Watch how I'm going to show my love for you. Just wait and see, guys. Just wait. 
Wait for a little bit. And you'll see how much I love you. Because I'm going to give my life for you. Jesus knew this. And so Jesus sets this and He says, this is, this is how we should love. This is how we should love one another. This is how, I love, how much I love you. God shows us how much He loves us by sending His Son. And that purpose of Jesus, the baby coming at Christmas, was to one day offer Himself as a sacrifice for us. So Jesus may, or John, in 1 John chapter 4, He makes that perfectly clear. And then He goes on and He tells us what our response is to be. And that's uh, that God's love should motivate us to love one another. And that's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. And we've covered it. We've seen it in other places as well. But there in 1 John 4, 11, He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How do we respond to God's love shown to us? We love one another. We don't have to wait until we feel all warm and fuzzy inside and get all tingly to show this love. We don't have to wait until that movie moment comes along in our lives where we're struck with this love for one another, where, where our whole character gets changed. But we simply love it, one another. And we can start doing that by doing it on the outside. By actually taking up that challenge to love one another and putting it into action. And maybe we even start doing that. We start putting it into action before we actually feel the feeling. We show the love. And then we let the feeling come later. Because if you wait for the feeling to come before you act, you might be waiting for a very, very long time. Being a Christian isn't easy. Sometimes we have to do the action before we actually feel the feeling. Sometimes we have to swallow hard and say, I'm going to show love, even if I don't feel like it. Here's a radical idea for you. Think of the person you dislike the most. We all have someone in our life like that. Someone who maybe stands head and shoulders above everybody else in our scale of dislike. Maybe you might even go so far as to say, I hate that person. Now, here's a radical idea. Pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would encourage them. That that person would have a deep sense of God's love for them. Pretty radical. Maybe you might say, I can't do that. That's too difficult. You may say, Pastor, why are you asking me to do that? And I'm asking you to do that because Jesus tells us to do that. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here in 1 John chapter 4.11, you can see on the screen there, he's not saying we should love one another, you know, those people who are really lovely. He just says we should love one another. It doesn't matter how you feel about them. Show love to them. Let it grow. Jesus says love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How about we up the game a little bit? Jesus liked to do that. He liked to say, okay, here's the standard. I'm going to, I'm going to set the bar a little higher. How about we up the game a little bit? We say instead of just uh, trying to love your enemies, how about you 
send them a text message and say you're praying for them. Wow. How about you up the game a little bit more? You send them a text message say, I'm praying for you. And can you tell me, how can I, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? Can you up the game a little bit more and say, you get something for them. You get them a gift. It's Christmas time. It's time when we exchange gifts. So you, buy, you go and you buy them a gift. You really want to put yourself outside your comfort zone. Think of that person you hate the most. Go out, buy them a gift. Go to their house and say, it's Christmas time. It's, time, it's a season of love. I just wanted to show my love for you. Here's a gift. And then you leave. That'd be pretty tough. I admit it. That'd be hard. But the idea is you do something first. You do the love action first and then you let the feeling follow. You do the action first and you let the feeling follow. You know, last week we heard uh, Brian talking to us about being salt and light in the world. And that's a way you could do it. That's one way you could do it. By showing love to someone. Why would we want to be salt and light in the world? You might even ask that question. Because we want to point people to God's love. Because we want to show them the love of Christ. And we do that by being salt and light in the world. So can we be people at Christmas here who show God's love and goes out to be with others. There's lots of ways to help at Christmas. You'll read in your bulletin there's an outreach on Christmas Day in the downtown east side. We can do that. We can go singing carols with our, uh, with our neighbors. We can be uh, together with our family and friends at Christmas showing God's love to them. I'm sure we're all going to a number of Christmas parties. Some of them here at church, but in other places as well. Often your workplaces have Christmas parties. And maybe you can go to those. And you need to be polite and you need to be loving, but you can tell people about what Christmas is all about. Share with someone at a Christmas party that, hey, you know what Christmas is all about? It's about Jesus. And it's about God loving us. We don't, I don't want you to go to, the, uh, to, to work and start getting up on a table and start preaching and get yourself fired. But there are loving and gentle ways you can share the love of God with others around us at Christmas. So John tells us. He tells us about love. About God's love who sends His Son and about how we're to respond. And that's His Word for us today. But we don't want to let our culture give us a view of love. But we look at the Bible. We look at what John has to say. We look at all these passages that talk about love and how God loves us. We can take time on this day, on the first uh, Sunday of Advent, and think about love. See how God says, I love you. And then how He shows it. And take that as a challenge for, for us to uh, say the words and do the actions of loving people. Look for someone around you that needs that word and that action at love, especially at Christmas time. Is there someone in your circle who needs that word of love from God? To hear that God loves them and to see it put into action. You know, when we were in Zambia, 
we almost always on Christmas, we would have people come into our home. And we look for people who might otherwise be alone on Christmas. And we would invite them to come to our house. And sometimes we would have three or four or five different people joining us for Christmas dinner. Because we knew they would have been alone on Christmas. We even had, one year we had a Muslim lady come and join us for Christmas. It was quite interesting. But these are things we can do to show the love of God at Christmas. So take a breath, pick up your courage and reach out in God's love to demonstrate God's love for the world around us. As you do that, you might find yourself blessed as much as the others will be blessed by you doing it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your love shown to us. The love that You demonstrated to us in having Your Son come to live on earth and to die for us, to make an atonement for our sin. And Lord, help us to have that love in our hearts. Help us to have that courage to show that love to others around us. Lord, help us to put that love into action. And Lord, if we don't feel it, Lord, help us to just to move, to do something, to demonstrate that love. And then Lord, we ask that You would give us that love in our hearts. Lord, give us the feeling, move us to action. Help us to think about Your love at Christmas, especially on this first day of Advent. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.